Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Today, we have the embodiment of the Justice League into one man, Christopher Paulson. <laughs> I, just, like, like, I don't even know where to go with that. I, I don't like... I usually have a witty retort, but the embodiment of the... Ju- if I'm the embodiment of the Justice League, you're the entire MCU because it's just a better product. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave you a few days to think about it as well. Come on. All right. That was a, that was a pretty good one. Vito McKenzie on this end, folks. So, Chris, how are we doing this week? Hey, doing really good, actually. Um, you know, at time of recording... Um, like we've talked about, we're, we're, I'm, you're in, I don't know, like September 25 and I'm in <laughs> semester two. Um, and I'm just really, really enjoying, uh, the classes I have some fabulous students. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been a real, uh, a real treat to be honest with you to, um, to, to really be teaching this semester. Had a lot of really cool things happen already. Some classes that just, they've already kind of picked up on like my little idiosyncrasies and they're already exploiting them. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, perfect. So, so I just, I just love when that happens. In fact, today was, uh, today was like dress like, uh, what you want to be day type thing, like profession day. And, uh, I dressed up as a teacher because I went to university for a hundred years to become one. But underneath the shirt I wore at work today, Oh, oh, for those who can't see it, it's a NASA shirt. <laughs> there's always a part of me that's going to... There's always going to be a part of me that wants to be an astronaut. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a secret space cadet. How are you doing, buddy? I mean, you know what? Last week, uh, like I said, it was just it was not a good week for me. And this week has been much better. So thank you, you for sound, asking. You, you sound chipper. Yeah, th- this week has been good. It's, it's at the time of recording. It's the start of Lent. And I saw something amazing, Dr. Joe Rogers, a chaplain on our board. You know, usually when we think of Lent, we think of giving something up. And he came up with this great idea. This past year has taken enough from us already. We've already <laughs> given up a lot. So this season of Lent, let's add something to our life. Let's add some joy. Let's add some happiness. And I love that. I love that. So it's, uh, it's been a much better week, and, and I'm, I'm feeling good. And um, my classes have been – my class, my Octomester 5 class, they've been, <laughs> they've been wonderful. And we've been – having some great discussions and uh, i'm just excited to see where they go with it but enough about us enough (laughs) hey enough about us enough about us enough about us we can go on all night oh you're the best chris you're the best but but no i can't be the best because you are the best we could do this all night folks but we're not because we actually have somebody with us who is the best we're the best we We have the best like i'm not kidding this this person Time and time again, people have asked me, when are you going to bring this person on? Tonight on the show, we have Allison Kinahan. And Chris, just get ready for this. Like, you're not even going to believe. You know, when, when, whenever we say as a teacher, you can't be everything for everybody, Allison comes close. So she um, <laughs> is an educator with the Ottawa Catholic School Board. She uh, is originally from Saskatchewan, graduated from the University of Saskatchewan, has taught many subjects from grades 1 to 12. She has worked as an educator, uh, as a classroom teacher, a resource teacher, a curriculum leader, a student success teacher, and a literacy learning partner. Now she's at the school board where she has worked as a consultant of literacy and language arts and is currently the coordinator of the leading and learning department. Uh, In this role, 
what's amazing is she actually facilitates the new teacher induction program, which we're going to talk about tonight, love and it, the professional learning of many employee groups. She sits on the chair of the Teacher Education Advisory Committee and the Faculty of Education at the University of Ottawa, and is the co-chair of the OCSB Equity and Diversity Committee. And I'm told every so often she goes home for dinner. So, Allison, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Allison. Uh, quick, you. first question, do you want a job here? <laughs> <laughs> well, the prairies are in my roots, Chris, so, you know, it always is in the back of my mind. There you go, there you go. Wow. <laughs> it was like Vito, like, he had, like, a scroll... And he started reading it and just hit the floor. <laughs> wow. No, honestly, honestly, it's a joy. Like uh, many people have asked when, you know, you, you have to bring. And I said, absolutely. Like I, I've seen your work and, and I've had the joy of working alongside you. And it's I'm so excited for tonight. And as you heard, there are an incredible number of avenues we can explore with your vast array of experience. And we hope to hit on a number of them as we talk today as long as Chris and I don't sidetrack you too much. But before we get there, as with all our guests, we want to hear your story. What got you into education and into the role you're in today? Uh, thanks for that question, Vito, because um, I think that the reason that I got into it will probably speak to a, a lot of ways that people um, have gotten into education. And um, for me, it, it, it extends back into my high school. Uh, when I was in high school, small town Saskatchewan, um, the choices there were limited. There was one high school. And um, for me, it was um, it was very, very um, limited, but I was able to partake in some student activities that um, got me thinking about the future. And so I got involved in student government as a student. And that really propelled me to think about um, different power structures and the rigidity of the school system and the rights of students. Wow, so you were thinking of this already in high school. That's amazing. And, and to be honest, at one point I thought, I'm gonna be the Minister of Education for Saskatchewan because I just wanted to have um, education centered on students rather than on structures, systems, etc. So I, I felt at that time that there was something missing in public education. Um, the only thing that I knew at that time, um, so that's why I say like a small town Saskatchewan, that was all there was. Um, and so it was um, those sort of things that brought me forward. The other part of my high school education really um, sat with me too, and I tell this story to anyone who will listen, is that um, when I was in high school, I was really great at memorizing. And so I memorized all kinds of things, and I got really, really great grades. And I went to university, thought I was going to be an engineer, got into first-year engineering, and I couldn't do a lab to save my life. I didn't know how to problem solve. I had no critical thinking skills. Uh, collaboration was um, non-existent. And I did one semester and I said to my mom, I think I have to get out before they kick me out because of my grades. I did salvage a few classes that first semester and then I worked and um, really thought about my passion for education. And I went back into teacher's college at that point. And in Saskatchewan, it was a four-year uh, program. And you only graduated with a B.Ed. 
And uh, so then I went back to, I taught for two years in Connecticut, but then I still felt I didn't know enough. So I was Sorry, always... What, 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 what sent you to Connecticut? So I went there for family uh, reasons and okay. um, uh, worked there. And so I was there for two years and it was in a private school. Um, and that's where I did my most of my elementary teaching. And um, for me, it was eye-opening to see the differences there between public education and um, private education and the salaries and all those types of things that happen. But I still didn't feel like I knew enough, I, that I, I needed to, to know more. And so I think I've always been a learner and those kind of experiences early in my career, early in my high school education really put me in a learning stance um, as I have continued to um, grow my career. One of the things that really uh, hit me there was when you said, like, I'm great at memorizing. Just last week in one of my classes, we were talking about, um, you know, we were, we were getting really philosophical and, and, and I posed that question to my students. I said, so what is knowledge? You know, we were looking at some of the, the early stuff in Religion 35. I said, what is knowledge? And, you know, they were trying to come up with these answers. And I said, well, how do you know if you know something or if you've just memorized it? You memorized what someone told you an A sound like, so you can put those word letters together. Do you know what the word is or do you just remember what someone told you or even numbers? And the students were like, and you're talking here about this experience. And it's experience to me that like, just based on my experience as a, as you know, I've been teaching for 10 years, students are still having these experiences that you're having, like you're, you're, you're presenting a timeless story. And, and I just, I, I think that's amazing. Um, in terms of your journey to becoming an educator, you know, it's a journey that a lot of people are on, but you kind of grabbed it and you ran with it. And I love that. I think for me, um, what was missing was um, in that educational experience and something that I'm always trying to work into um, what it is that I'm working towards is having um, a provocation. What is the question that we want to answer out of this learning or how do we want to apply this? And so for me, that was missing when I was in high school. I, I didn't have a purpose for applying it. I didn't have a purpose to fully understand beyond the knowing, understand, and then your application part of it. So for me, um, you know, whenever I start um, a learning network, um, I'm always thinking of that uh, provocation for the learners. Um, now, as uh, somebody who facilitates adult learning, but even in the classroom, I, I would... Um, create my lessons in my units with this overarching question. So a purpose for what you're doing, as opposed to let's just hammer through this curriculum document, call it a day. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the differences you saw with the private education in Connecticut and the public education that you were uh, encountering? Yeah. So the, the private education that I was involved in, um, it was a Catholic school and um, it was not the most uh, expensive or most elite. Um, it kind of paralleled the public system in a way, um, but the class sizes were very small. The, um, the learning supports were very limited um, in ter if you had um, an exceptionality or you were a student with identified needs. Um, that was done kind of outside of the school setting. So, um, 
I think a lot of it um, kind of had a mix of both, of public and private. Um, ad, um, parents and families were not paying, you know, um, fifteen thousand or twenty thousand dollars a year to send their kids there. It was it was much less, and mm-hmm. so. Um, I, but I think in terms of um, again, there I, I saw a lot of memorization. I saw a lot of. Um, you know, trying to get into said school. And again, I saw a lot of the rigidity um, of things. Um, Female teachers had to wear this, male teachers had to wear this, you know, girls had to wear, you know, uh, what, you know, nylons. And if you wore a necklace, it had to be a cross. And like, there was a lot of um, very um, um, strict guidelines Mm. around that. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I'm getting the picture here. I'm getting the picture. Uh, wow. Uh, so let's let's unpack your your approach in, in the when in the classroom as well. Then let's um, let's unpack that a bit because we had Tom Conklin on the show a while back, and and you know he talked about your amazing ability in literacy to get students to make text to world connections and text to self connections, uh, and then you also were a literacy partner. So uh, I, I, as a literacy as a teacher and a literacy learning partner, um, time and time again. You know, I, I keep hearing how amazing you are making these connections. Can you take us through your practice and your approach? So for me, um, the first thing that I always thought about was the student and thinking about what the student's needs uh, and learning trajectory was, uh, as well as their interests. Um, so I, I know Tom and, and I taught his son and, um, you know, I just think about all the students that I taught and really getting to know who they were as people and putting them before I put the curriculum and thinking of the student. So you just blew curriculum. Chris's mind right there. He just had a, <laughs> a moment of joy. You know, just thinking of the student as the curriculum instead of, um, expectations in a document proposed by the ministry or um, said institution, uh, because that I mean, if you look at the the, the goal of education, it's to educate the students um, and not um, anything else. And so, if we really need to do that, so put some of the things that I did was I really looked at myself as a coach. Um, I'm here to help you through this material. Um, integrating my literacy approach. We did reading, writing, oral, visual, uh, speaking, listening, all of those things um, at the same time. So it, no one, they didn't see it as separate. It was um, a particular overarching question, and then I would infuse all of those. And for me, that really gave the, the students a chance to be able to take in the information in a format that worked for them, that connected with them. So they might have listened to it. They might have watched it. They might have um, read it. Uh, so providing different ways to take in the information and learn the information, and then different ways to um, uh, grapple with the material, um, providing them with opportunities um, so that it became rigorous learning for them, um, and thinking also about um, how they might provide Um, evidence of their application of it or their thinking of it. So again, providing them various opportunities to um, show that learning. And so So, for me, yep, sorry, Vito. 
I was going to say, I want to get nitty gritty here because, you know, I'm teaching uh, English uh, my next two octomesters and, you know, I have an approach and I'm always, I'm being selfish here. Can you, can you give me an example of how that plays out? Like just in in terms of what you've done? Yeah. So I I think that in terms of throughout a unit of study, let's say it's three weeks, that students would have an opportunity to um, get at the content in multiple modes. So um, they might read a text, they might uh, watch it, they might listen to it, um, they might read on a a similar theme. So again, just um, providing all of these opportunities for the students to be able to kind of grasp on and in a way that would allow them to really show what they understood and what they learned and how they might apply it. it, So for me... So for me, we had these overarching um, big ideas <laughs> and the overall expectations, and uh, we were moving towards that throughout the unit. And to me, too, um, when you're offering multiple modes and different ways of getting that content, that's almost a management strategy built in because you're really mitigating uh, a lot of those frustration-based uh, behavioral issues and academic issues before they even come up because that frustration doesn't get a chance to be there. Um, and I really I really like that about offering multiple modes to, to show learning. Um, I find it's... I, I find it's um, respectful to the student. I, I, at its core, I find it's a, it's a really good way of showing respect to the student. And it takes away that idea uh, of um, the fear that everything that they're going to be doing um, is something that they might not be able to accomplish. So when you mm. build that trust, you build that um, ability for them to, to say, okay, I've done it uh, and I can move forward with the next uh, piece so it's building that that relationship and that confidence and that trust um, in the in the classroom. I think something else that I did a lot was reaching out to the other teachers surrounding those students, so that we were a community moving forward. So you know the the teachers who were the resource teachers. Um, I remember sitting in um, at one of the schools I worked at. Um, grade seven, eight school with the English language learner and just going through um, so that I really understood what it meant for the step. We have a step program here in in Ontario. At that time, it was called that. And and just really trying to understand it and work with where the student was at in order to move them to their next level. Um, Not what I, you know, thought or the ministry thought their next level. So let's you know, move this together. So for me, it was a real community. I would often work with the resource teachers. I worked at another school, it was seven to 12. And I would say to the resource teachers, you know, um, I'd like to modify this assignment. I've done this. How does it look to you? And let's talk about it. And let's talk to the child and or the student about it. And so for me, it was always this community surrounding the child and moving forward. Yeah, folks, I I don't know if you're listening to the same person I'm listening to, but you you just heard what education was all about right there. I mean, Dr. Natalie uh, Reed talked about this, the student-centered, right? We teach students first and... um, Wow, and Rolla was on here we're talking about you know what 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 does a student need like the, you did it all that's amazing. 
I hope you're hope you're paying attention because this is this is this is goldmine. And I love uh, this idea, Vito. I love this idea of reaching out to the other teachers who are connected to the yes, student too. Yes, what, we're a community uh, here. Well, I'm getting a lot of what Nick Matthews was saying about mentorship and about community building. Um, you know, there's a team of educators. You know, for every student, there's a team of educators who are who who really should be their biggest fans. You know. Um, and I really like what you're saying about that. Um, now, to me, um, when you got into a situation uh, where, you know, you have a student who's struggling or you're modifying something, um, it was it. did you ever encounter difficulty when saying to the teaching team, like, hey, how can we support this, this student? Or generally, was everyone willing to go that kind of extra mile um, because I know a lot of people, especially early career, um, sometimes that's a little, that's a little bit intimidating to, to go to like someone who's been in the game for a while and say, Hey, you know, I've got, I've got Vito in my class and he's really struggling. Can we get together and, and look over each other's assignments? Um, so, uh, tell us a little bit about maybe that process, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. And I think that goes to speaking with, um, the, the, the staff as um, a whole and that um, that's been built by the leadership in the school and just that ability to be able to um, think of yourself um, as a team and providing those opportunities to to chat with one another. So my first experience teaching here in Ottawa um, was, like I said, at that grade seven, eight school. And we we just had this wonderful um, relationship with one another um, didn't mean that we didn't challenge one another. It didn't mean that we didn't, um, you know, um, think about pedagogy differently or those types of things. But at the end of the day, um, if everybody's in a learning stance and that's communicated as a, a way of being in the building as an educator, then it, it's okay to, um, to have those disagreements and to move forward. So, you know, um, just thinking about, um, for me, um, I really look at, at my colleagues as my partners and co-teachers, you know, and so, um, and I'm, I'm not the expert. And, and if I take that stance, the kids are going to lose out. And so I need to, to set my ego at the door, um, and, and be a learner, um, from from the beginning and so i think if you have that mindset as an educator that you know what i'm doing is constantly it's like research and action and how can i improve my craft and i can't do it alone i have to do it with others we always talk about being lifelong learners and that means that doesn't mean taking courses all the time it means you know learning from each other being a team i love it i love it and we're no, we're not in silos either. And boy, we're just scratching the surface here. We we got a lot more to cover. So let let's let's jump here, because then you you went up to the board level, and um, as a consultant. So what were you able to see happening in the classroom, and what what were you able to see? What were you hoping to see as well, and and what were you able to influence at that level? So I think for me, uh, moving to the board level, it um, I was able to to see um, how educators. At that time, I was grounded in literacy, and so how it was that 
educators in different subject areas were working on literacy and how it was being um, um, taught in the classrooms in whatever subject area or matter that the, the educator might have. So um, how were we able to create teams within schools like I had been a part of and um, you know whatever's going to work for that team in that building um, in order to uh, help the students move forward. So what would it take um, in a school community for that to happen? And a lot of it came down to and back to getting to know the students again. <laughs> and, you know, um, what does a, a literacy learning plan look like for Vito? What does it look like for Chris? Uh, what does it look like for Allison? And how can we work on that? Um, and being uh, teachers from all different classes. And then I started to figure out how the departments at the board level worked together or didn't work together. <laughs> and so it was my last year in that role um, that we did a really large interdepartmental literacy um, learning network that involved all of our students and um, sort of at the grade seven, eight level. And um, it, it involved literacy, technology, and special education. And so the idea that if students, if teachers really knew their students, and if they really knew um, their learning um, style, their learning needs, if they had an individual education plan, you knew what the accommodations meant, you knew what the modifications meant, and you were able to provide them with multiple mo ways, modes, to take it in through technology, digest it, and if they needed to, uh, provide it digitally um, back um, to an audience. And so um, it was like that really that meshing of the three um, in order to move forward. And, and we saw, you know, not everything is about data. It's all about students and their success moving from stage to stage. But um, if you look at um, the data, we had data to prove that this was a positive thing for those students. So what, what, like we keep hearing about where's the data to prove this works and, and, and this constant thing, but you know, we know students are data points even though technology wants to move in, the, in that direction. So what, what, what were you showing to say, hey, this, this is working when you actually focus on the student and go to the next steps? What were those quote-unquote data points that you were, you were showing? So we were looking at um, you know, sort of, um, I'd have to go back to the presentations that we made in the last uh, few years, but it, it definitely showed improvement in the EQAO results uh, for students. But then we also had anecdotal data and, and we had students, you know, in grade 12 and I'm going back to where I started and just thinking about, you know, I, I've never been able to, to write like this, bec but it, now I can because I've been given the tools or I, I've been allowed to use the tools that I've been entitled to for the last seven years and just haven't had the chance um, to um, use them. For me, it's always been uh, for students who have an, an exceptionality or an IEP, I looked at that like a golden ticket because I didn't have to spend the first eight eight weeks figuring out how this student learned. It t already told me a lot about the student the strengths, the needs, the what to focus on, etc. And so I never saw that as um, a negative for me as an educator. I was like, 
everybody should come with an individual learning plan because then <laughs> we would we would be you know eight weeks ahead we wouldn't need to continue to um you know go back and forth and and see that assessment as you would get too much faster the assessment as learning yeah, and I like how you also mentioned the fact that the strengths in that IEP, a lot of times we always read that IEP for what's the weakness and accommodation that we forget. There's a strength column too. How does the student learn best? And, and mm -hmm. that, that, that's a benefit to you as a teacher. Huge mm -hmm. point. That's, I got big vibes on that one, Chris. Huge vibes. I, I'm glad you had, I had big vibes on that one too. We, we actually just did some uh, PD looking at some, some learning plans. And we were, we were going through it and we were looking for the strengths and, and, and that. And I noticed in the very first paragraph, the student was quoted saying, I like this, 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 and this. And it was so interesting because guess what their strengths were in school? It was this, 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 and this. And I thought it was so interesting because you're talking, Allison, you're talking about you know, get, get to know the kids, get to know them. And it's so interesting because if you get to know them, you can almost tell what they're going to be good at and how you can support them. Even if you don't have the document uh, or the data to support it, like you say, it's not all about data. It is about data, but it's not all about data. It's about students. And they'll tell you if you get to know them. I, I love the connections you're making. I saw a big part of that was also reaching out to the family early in the semester or early in the course. I, I would call every parent or guardian or caregiver. Um, if I was teaching grade seven, eight, or if I was teaching high school, I spent most of my uh, career seven to 12. And um, I said to the students, you know, in high school, I said, I'm calling home in the next two weeks. We've just started the semester. Oh, miss, come on, lay off, you know, <laughs> not right away. <laughs> and, you know, I said, you're not the only one in this learning partnership. There's a lot of us here and your parents know you uh, as well. And so when I sat down to parent-teacher interviews too, I've already made the connection with the family or the caregivers. And I'm having a conversation with them because they know um, they know their kids, they know what they're capable of, they know um, their strengths, uh, what works for them, what doesn't. And, you know, um, it was a conversation as opposed to me telling all the time. It was a back and forth of sharing of information at those parent-teacher interviews for me. And how wonderful is that to sit there knowing that this is going to be a conversation and that that is amazing. Now, uh, you, you could still see things at the board level. What, what are you hoping mm -hmm. to see uh, happen right now? Well, working with the new teacher uh, program, I, I think that thinking about um, teachers bringing um, – a different mindset to the classroom than the teachers that I had, or, you know, um, you know the, the, everyone has good intentions, but we really have to think about the impact. And so I think my greatest impact is going to be um, having that educator mindset so that I'm always in a learning stance. I, I will never arrive because the students will always be different. The, um, the learning situation will always be different. You know, I graduated um, Teachers College, High School English, um, uh, First Nations Métis Inuit Studies um, degrees. And uh, my dad said, you know, you just have to make your binder, you get your lessons, and you're good for the next 30 years. And I, and I thought, you know, at one time, that's how things happened. And um, you just can't do that because the kids are different. 
the kids, mm -hmm. you're teaching the kids, not the content. And so if I continue to put the kids first, and so that's how I'm working with educators at the board level. Um, always, what is your why? What is your learning stance? And how has my identity influenced uh, what it is that I'm going to bring to the classroom? What values do I have as an educator? And how will those ideologies, those beliefs, those things that um, are deeply rooted in my upbringing um, either create barriers in the classroom or, um, if I, or need to let them go so that they don't create barriers? Beautiful. Beautiful, because because that's that's huge, huge right now. We 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 often go unchecked on ourselves before we come in, and have no idea the impact of what we're doing. We th always the intention's always good, but we you're absolutely right. We have no idea what impact we're actually making unless we check ourselves. And I'm glad you mentioned the new teacher program because that's actually where we're going to jump next because this kind of blends in. And actually, the next two questions I have for you tie together. And that you are currently facilitating the new teacher induction program, and you said you want a change of mindset that's happening. Now, I see some of the new teachers and what they're posting, what you're doing, and I, I get a bit jealous, to be honest. I'm like, I wanted that. That, was, that would have been amazing. Um, oh, I just see the things you're doing. Can, can, can you walk us through how you're approaching this with new teachers and how you're getting them into this new mindset? Yeah, so I've been fortunate to be able to work with the Faculty of Education, and so uh, we've utilized a lot of their uh, professors so that they see their learning as a continuation. It doesn't stop when their degree is done. We're going to continue to learn. So um, two years ago, we had a equity te uh, new teacher network, and it really focused on teachers um, thinking about themselves as educators um, and um, kind of really focusing in on an area of interest to them and um, really honing in on a student in the classroom and how to make progress with that student. So um, we looked at a number of different um, pieces and we used um, uh, Zaretta Hammond's book, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. And it really sort of lays a foundation for um, getting to know the student, the awareness piece, um, what learning partnerships can I use, um, what community can I create in order for the learning to um, be um, accomplished in a way that students uh, feel safe, um, that they're not going to be under, you know, an amygdala hijack at any point, and so that they um, can... Uh, you know, move um, on their continuum in that way. So we've really tried to, um, I, you know, some of the equity work that we are doing um, in our province, in our school board, and in our schools, and trying to align that. So when the educators come into our board right from the outset, um, we're thinking about ourselves as, um, you know, anti-racist, anti-oppression um, educators, and how can we, um, you know, um, shift the system, uh, not only uh, in our classrooms, but on a broader scale, too. So I think we're trying to, um, all those things are sort of coming together uh, right now, but we, we can't do that alone. So we have to provide them with opportunities, like you said, Vito, for them to be able to do that. So right now we're just offering out um, 
a mindfulness educator program that um, is an eight-week program. I've worked with an educator, um, sorry, a mindfulness coach here in the city um, to put together this program. And I think it's going to do a few things. It's going to really help educators sort of approach the classroom in a mindful way. What am I feeling as this situation is unfolding with this student, with this parent, with this colleague, um, why is it resonating with me? What feelings am I having about that? So that creating that awareness and then thinking about um, with a mentor, what are my possibilities? Let's explore my next steps and then taking that action and then having a follow-up circle back. So really trying to think about um, ourselves as educators. What's resonating? What's bubbling up and why? Why am I feeling this way? And so trying to dispel the idea that wellness and paying attention to our thoughts, minds, and feelings as educators is really important. I really like, I really like that way of approaching being an educator. How many times... Uh, is there that person who's who's dreading the email they think they're going to get or terrified to make that call home and uh the emotion that's that's driving that the engine is is fear or 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 anxiety um when we start to to to, to pull back and ask ourselves those questions mm-hmm. we start to really center on the reasons behind things, we start to center on why we may be having those feelings. And I think, like, I'm I'm listening to you about a, a new teacher, like a program, but I think that's that's practice that whether you've been teaching three months or 30 years is is worth doing. Um, and, and just the talk that you have about this partnership in the learner, for, with the learner center, um, I love the idea that your first call home is a positive call home to get to know people. I love that. Um, You know, you always hear the school name pops up on the cell phone and we're not going to pick it up because we know, you know, what did you do this time, Vito? Um, It's, it's flip. (laughs) And we've talked about this. It's flipping that script. It's doing, it's doing more than just creating mindful teachers. It's flipping the script in the, in the team for the student. And I just, I'm so, so, so happy to hear this stuff. Well, and I've kind of tried to do that and continue that um, in the position that I'm in. So I handwrite a lot of cards and notes to the new teachers um, and, you know, uh, reminding them to be well. Um, and welcoming them to the to the board, and and lately it's been a little difficult with the yeah. the COVID logistics. So I've used my Screencastify and just said, you know, we've hired um, more than a dozen new teachers in the last few weeks, and I've recorded. You know, it's a minute thirty, but it's a face, it's a name, it's that connection. So how can I continue to make that um, feeling of community that there's somebody I can reach out to, there's somebody who is there to be able to walk beside me. We always talk about that in our education, that road to Emmaus, you know, um, who can accompany me on that journey, whether it's student to student, colleague to colleague, um, staff to parent. So for me, it's all about community in and, that sense. And I, and I love that it's almost, um, I don't want to say the word challenge, but it's a, 
it's a it's it's something to make you know veteran teachers think you know what's my place you know as we go up we start with these young teachers and we have all these you know things we're trying to figure out yeah. and, so, and sometimes veteran teachers you know we get to a point where we're like okay what's the next step and it's really easy to to overthink well the next step is being a mentor and supporting them, uh, you know, how amazing would it be if that person who, you know, they, they look like they've been in the game and they've been in the trenches. I don't want to go, I don't want to go and ask him a question, but he reaches out and it turns out he's the nicest person in the world and I can go to him for anything, you know? Um, Thanks man. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, I just love what you're talking about because it, it, and, 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 and it goes back around, um, to that, that team aspect, the staff as a, as a whole team. Um, and, and the yeah. opportunities that we offer out I've, uh, in the last um, three years since, I, since I've taken on this role is um, offering the mentors the opportunities as well. So as you said, Chris, you know, any, any educator would benefit from that. And when they're learning together, you know, um, it, the, the learning is that much more powerful. It's, it's twofold. So I can go back and forth, um, with Vito and we can talk about it. We can try it out. We can, you know, um, think about what our next steps might be. And, and I think that that's been a powerful part of the program as well. And, um, so in this new program, we're just starting and kicking off, um, in March, mentors and mentees are signing up together so that they can, you know, get this going. So I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. Like, like I was just seeing bits and pieces of, of what you're doing. And, and <laughs> so to hear the whole story is, is outstanding because how many of us would have loved to have that coming oh, in? Absolutely. I, I'm thinking I've been teaching, uh, in, in my current building, I've been teaching there for nine years and I was booking something out or I can't remember what I was doing. I was doing a thing that had a process with it like an administrative process, like booking Chromebooks or I don't know, printing some, I don't can't remember what it was. And I just, I'd never done it in nine years. And there was this first year teacher next to me and I go, how do you do that? And they were like so empowered by me asking them that question. Uh, they were like, what? I'm just like, I've never done it. <laughs> and I loved it. And, yeah. and just as you go on that journey together, I, oh my goodness. Yes. We're a team. We're a team. Yeah. And our, and our big win is when our students win. That's our win. That's our Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It, that's where the magic is with all the kids. So I, I don't stay out of the classroom too much. I'm teaching this Friday. I taught last week. Um, during January, I taught 15 lessons. And so, you know, I, I continue to create the lessons um, back and forth with the teacher. I'll teach it. I even supply taught virtually with the class, uh, two EAs, no teacher, um, because the teacher needed to do some IEPs. And so, you know, I'm like, let's do this. Um, and so, you know, I think that if you're um, able to show people and model that, continuously, uh, that learning, you know, and, you know, I tried new things with them. I said, you know, I haven't tried this before kids. What do you see on your end? What do I see on my end of the computer? Let's figure this out. And the teacher is there learning alongside all of us. So it's that community. Yeah. Huge. Now this also comes to the next question then that we have for you. And you already foreshadowed this and your story at the beginning, you kind of gave a hint to it. 
because you're a forerunner right now in advocating for a shift in practices and structures to ensure an equitable and inclusive education. And so we see that happening with the NTIP program. You talked about it as your something you saw as a student in high school. And uh, so as a co-chair of the Equitable and Diversity Committee in the school board, well, like, what does this mean overall for schools? And what does that look like on the ground level? It, that's a that's a lo- really loaded big question, Vito. I think uh, we're that's up- why I asked it. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think we have to constantly reflect. Um, we have to constantly ask questions, and we have to be constant learners, and particularly in equity and diversity and inclusion. Um, we never arrive at this. Um, because there will always be uh, a power indifference or, or some sort of um, oppressive place that people are in. Um, and so, you know, on the ground level, I think it has to be in everything that we do. Um, equity, I see inclusion as the overarching framework through, through which everything I operate. So let's, for example, I, I'm a, a teacher in a school and I'm communicating with a parent who is racialized, black, um, who is not white. And I am a white woman. I know you can't see me, but I'm white, cisgender, settler, colonialist, um, you know, um, all those kinds of things um, that would put me in the, the normative. And I, and I have to understand that there is always going to be in that communication, if I'm communicating with that parent, um, a power imbalance, an inequity. And so how do I understand that? How do I shift in order for there to be equity in that situation? How do I confront my biases all times? And so we need to be doing that um, constantly in everything we approach in the system, whether it's dress code. I just went through every high school's dress code in our school board and I've got them all on a spreadsheet and I'm looking at them and thinking about, you know, how oppressive they are and how in some cases racist they are. And just thinking about how can we um, disrupt that? How can we uh, change those things so that students feel welcome, that they arrive at school and they feel that they belong. And I think if we look at any, everything through that lens of um, how can I, um, change this situation. Um, and it sometimes means changing the structure. It means changing the system so that those students are welcome and can achieve and be um, equitable. So it's, it's that kind of large overarching uh, piece. We, and we have a long ways to go. And like I said, we'll never uh, arrive because it, it's evolving daily, m- minute by minute uh, in society. Right. So for those people who said, okay, you know, uh, we, we got the message, we're doing it. Um, the, the answer is no, 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 no. We're not even close. We're, we're still just getting there and we're not going to get there. Sure. And, and so uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking even well beyond just representation in the material too, because I remember my fourth year university, Professor Carolyn Sharp, feminist ethics. And what she did was brilliant. It was the first time I ever saw that. She integrated all these different perspectives as part of the curriculum. So it wasn't feminist ethics and here's a black feminist or here's a meherista. It was, no, the, these people are part of that narrative as part of the course. It was the first time I've ever encountered like people like Bell Hooks and, and, and other people. And I'm like, wow, 
so, you know, I understood that, that that was the key to at least in the curriculum to show students that, you know, your voice matters here. But let's let's go even more practical than that. So what are some things we can do on the ground to make this happen in my classroom? Like what what like we could spend an entire weekend talking about this or a week or heck, we can probably build a whole course on this. Um, but can, can you can you help us out? What are some practices that we should be doing or not doing to make this happen, to, to move towards this? I think that you have to be a constant learner in this. You can't um, wait for the school board to provide you with training. You can't wait for your school to provide you with training. You have to um, learn at this all the time. So I I attend a lot of things um, outside of my work hours so that I get a better understanding. Because if I stay in my silo and my um, way of knowing, being, and doing, um, then I'm not going to learn. So I have to, again, have that uh, constantly in my mind as an educator. I think some of the things that um, we can be doing on a daily basis is auditing. Audit what's in, what materials am I using? Um, who's left out? Who's um, included? Uh, thinking about, you know, the curriculum and um, understanding that the curriculum is full of white supremacy because it's been written by white people for white people, um, you know, and I, I just even knowing that and, and questioning it, it's okay to question that. It's okay to to think um, beyond that and to not have to, and that's really hard to do, absolutely, um, at any stage of your career. Um, I know a lot of, you know, first year, second year, even, you know, 10th year teachers find find that difficult. Even 30 year teachers <laughs> find that difficult. But I think that some of the things you always have to do is constantly um, question, do those audits, um, look at my patterns. What am I falling into? What am I um, constantly going back to? And I, I think sometimes too, if we feel ourselves going back into that place of comfort, that place of, you know, safety, that means that I'm doing things that work for me, mm. but not working for, you know, others in the classroom. Because my so, comfort doesn't mean everybody's comfortable. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So, how, how, like, how, what advice would you give to, to a teacher? Like, okay, I'm, I'm a white cisgender teacher who who's now saying, okay, I want to bring this in, but boy, I'm really uncomfortable bringing this up and talking about this and, and bringing this conversation to my class. You know, what, you know, how, what, 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 what can I do? What, like, how can I not get I, over I think, that, but if, if, at least mire myself in the uncomfort. Yeah. And, and just knowing that as a white person, I will always be uncomfortable talking about racism because I perpetuate it. I'm in a system that per- perpetuates it. I have to be in a constant place of um, dissonance um, in order for that to um, take place. And so it, it is just knowing that I'm going to be a learner in this. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have allies. I'm going to ha- have people that I can reach out to to support me in this. And I'm going to, um, you know, I, I have a lot of um, the people that I uh, surround myself with um, who will support that, you know, who will come out of the, you know, um, the, uh, 
the dugout to support me if it's a bad call. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they've got my back, and so I, I think about those things, um, and and just um, you know, understanding that. Um, I think about this too, you know, um, in all of the work and, and all the discussions, um, what I'm going through is I can't even imagine what others are going through. And so I think perspective helps, um, you know, uh, what our students are going through is, you know, that discomfort or that sweat in my pits, you know, <laughs> you know, it's gonna, it's gonna sit there, but you know, I'm not threatened because of my identity. I'm not watched when I walk down the street. Nobody grabs their purse when I walk by. Like there's so many things that um, are, it's it's negligible. It's, you know, the my discomfort in all of this. And so just, um, I think perspective helps a lot. And perspective comes from talking to people, reading, um, immersing yourself in um, the learning and uh, because people who experience racism are immersed in it 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we, uh, you know, we were unpacking that with my class today with implicit bias and the look that, you know, people of color get, especially black people uh, when they're out in the street, regardless of their position. It's always that look. No one says anything, but it's implicit there. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Hey, Vito, we we covered yes, a, we we covered a lot tonight. We Oof. covered we covered a lot. Oh, um, geez, I, I just feel I, like we're scratching the surface. I, well, that's it. I'm looking at my my notes today. They look like a they look like a train, you know, rolling through a rolling through a heavily populated city. You know, um, they are just they are just covered. Um, but uh, Vito, yes, Chris, I want to take you on a journey. Okay, take me. I want, I want, yeah, I want you, you're, you're at the start of a pier. It's a beautiful sunny day, wind's blowing. You walk to the end of the pier. The water is hitting you in the face, the spray. You look down, there's a sundial on the ground. You know what time that sundial says? It says Polson point time, Polson point time. <laughs> Everyone's favorite time. Uh, wow. You know what? I think I I agree with you, Vito. We just scratched the surface of some some pretty amazing uh, amazing things from from you know our role as teachers to our role as being better people while being teachers. Um, and uh, I I have we could do a whole show on the Polson points for this episode which we do on Mondays um, but I mean we could do a whole like 60 minute show on this one um, but the big pulse and points for tonight and I tried to keep them short um, provocation for the learners how are we gonna apply this what's the question you know we don't want memorizers we want learners um, number two teachers reach out to other teachers to support our students because our staff is a team, it really is. You know, our Super Bowl is their graduation. You know, and that's the mindset we really need to have. Um, number three, and I loved this one. While data is very important, it's not all about data, it's all about the student. And I love that, I love that. Um, number four, this one really hit me in the heart. 
everyone's got good intention. Everybody has good intentions, but we need to ask ourselves, what's the impact? And that's the heavy piece. What's the impact? We can go in with all the good intentions we want, but what is the impact? Teachers, number five, teachers, think of learning as a continuation. We never stop. We always say lifelong learner, lifelong learner, but do we really think of it as a continuation? And what community can I create, can we create for students to accomplish their learning? How, you know, go in and say how and what is my role in disrupting any power imbalance? And, and, and one of the things I really liked, don't wait to do something. Don't wait. Do it. And the two big vibes tonight. I got two big vibes. Two of them. Just two? <sighs> Just two. That's, this was difficult, Allison. It was very difficult. Every, I've only ever done one big vibe. You got two. And and you said this, and it just it just blew my like you actually blew my mind with this with these two comments. Number one, the goal of education is to educate the student, and I'm just like yes, I I love that big vibe number and and, and hey big vibe number two teachers. What's your why? The Paulson points for tonight, my friends. Wow. And that, that was narrowed down. I'm looking at those notes right now, folks. Oh yeah. It is, it is absolutely when we publish these notes at some point in the future. (laughs) 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 You you are in for a treat. Uh, we've been talking with Alison Kinahan. Alison, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I always enjoy the opportunity to reflect. Um, and those questions that you gave me, um, have been a provocation tonight. So thank you. You're welcome. I, I'd like to do that a lot. <laughs> I like to provoke. <laughs> and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.